Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, joined as, well, not as always this time because Tyler Rucker is actually out of town this weekend celebrating his bachelor party, I'm sure getting up to no good, um, and somehow conning his groom's party to go on a scouting trip with him. So I'm sure we'll hopefully, you know, get some um, age-appropriate, family-appropriate stories from the weekend. But Rucker has this week off, uh, hopefully enjoying himself, relaxing a little bit. He's earned it. So for this episode, you just have me. It's just me, Tyler Metcalf, running through this whole episode. Um, from the start of it, we'll go through five of my kind of favorite things that I've observed from this year so far. Um, I feel like I kind of tend to be the negative one, the hesitant one, the, uh, you know, if I'm being generous for myself, the realistic one. Um, so I, I just kind of want to bring back some good vibes and keep it upbeat and just talk about things that I am really excited about, things that are looking like they are a ton of fun this season. So we're going to start off with that at the front end of the podcast. And then you guys were awesome and sent me a ton of questions um, for a mailbag that I will wrap up the episode with. So by the time you're listening to this, it should be Friday afternoon or Friday midday um, or morning if you're weird and getting up super early and listening to my beautiful voice at the crack of dawn. Um, if that's the case, then make sure to go over to noceilingsnba.com. It is 100% free and check out the mock draft that we just dropped over there. Um, also earlier this week, in case you missed it, we updated our composite big board. So a lot of moving and shaking going on over there. I really liked how it came out. Um, there were some big differences on some guys and um, you know, some guys that I'm a lot lower on than others, but that's for a future episode. So for today, oh boy, do I go five to one or one to five? Mm, let's go. I, I feel like we, I, I should just go one to five, um, just based on how I typed it out and did the research for it. So the, the first favorite thing of mine for this season is that Victor and Scoop Victor and Scoot, excuse me, uh, long week, um, are living up to the hype. I feel like so frequently um, in drafts, we enter the season with a consensus top one or two or three or five or however many. And guys just inevitably start falling away and new guys rise up and we have all this fluctuation up at the top and these guys that were billed as these legit franchise cornerstones when they were, you know, 16, 17 years old, making that next jump up into college or pro basketball. And they struggle with it. And they sh- the holes in their game get exacerbated. They're, there's a light shown on them and they really struggle. That's fine. The fact that Victor and Scoot are not only living up to the hype, but dominating and exceeding expectations has been incredible. And both these guys have been pegged as potential franchise cornerstones since they were 13, 14 years old, and they're living up to the hype on a daily game-by-game basis. So currently, Victor's averaging 21.4 points, 9.4 rebounds, 2 assists, 3.2 blocks on 48, 29 and a half, 81 shooting splits. Don't love that three-point number, but we'll get to it. Scoot, 
in the G League is averaging 19 points, 6.1 assists, 4.9 rebounds, 1.3 steals on 45, 25, 76 shooting splits. Again, don't love that three-point number, but we'll get to it. The, the most exciting thing about these guys is there's no hesitation in their game. Then the only big question mark is that outside shot. And I don't really have any major concerns about it with either. With Victor, I don't think he's ever going to be this lethal 40 to 45% three-point shooter, but he doesn't have to be. I and mean, we're seeing him take these three-point floaters. That's insane. And it's just a, another way that he's showing off his absurd scoring touch in all three levels of the floor with limbs like he has, it is so hard to keep mechanics that consistent. And there is, there's, it's inevitable that there's going to be some variation and some fluctuation in how well he's shooting it from outside. Because when you have a wingspan that long, it is so hard to keep everything compact and consistent and for the most part, he's doing it. So, yeah, would we like to see him shooting in the high 30s or even higher from three? Sure. But just under 30% right now on really high volume, on really tough, difficult shots. That's another key thing here. When you look at Victor's three-pointers, it's not just him spotting up in the corner. It's not him just taking catch-and-shoot stuff. He's hitting you know, fade fadeaways going into the second row. He's hitting running floaters from three. He's hitting step backs. He's creating stuff off the dribble. There's a lot of variation and a lot of difficulty in the shot attempts that he's taking. That's just naturally going to bring down his percentages. So once he either simplifies that shot selection, once he gets to the NBA or he gets more comfortable with those shots, I think these percentages are just only going to rise for him. I have zero concerns about him. And unless there is some really damning medical that comes out with him, he's he's still just a lock at number one. Scoot, God, this dude is incredible. Um, recently came back from injury uh, the other week and picked up right where he left off. The fact that this kid is controlling every aspect of the game, of a G League game with, uh, you know, former NBA players, aspiring NBA players, guys who are grown men, and really working to make that next leap. And it's a really good league. Yes, you can pad some stats. Yes, you can kind of, or some of the numbers can be a bit fraudulent. But nothing Scoot does feels fraudulent. He's calm. He's composed. The game's slow for him. He's controlling every aspect of the game. It's so impressive to see him operating at the level that he is on a game-by-game basis. We don't see that from 18-year-olds. We saw flashes of it when he was 17 um, last year, but it was a little more erratic. It was a little bit unreliable, but exciting. It was flashy. This year, the flash is still there. I mean, we've seen him posterize guys. We've seen him make these wild kickout passes. The flash is still there, but it's so much more controlled. It's so much more, there's so much more nuance in this game where he's dissecting defenses by shifting his dribble an extra step to the side to widen the passing lane, you know, that extra six inches. Um, He can play off ball. He can play on ball. He can create, he can score, he can facilitate, he can defend whatever role you ask him to play. He can't play and he's willing to play it. That's the big thing too, with 
a lot of these guys, they, they're always the guy from day one growing up, and they know how to dominate with the ball. They can do incredible things with, with the ball that very few people can do. But once they get to the NBA, everyone can do those things. Not Obviously not everyone, but essentially everyone can do those things. The threshold to hit that pure just number one ball handler, number one creator threshold it's incredibly high and we don't give those guys enough credit or as much credit as they deserve for doing that. Scoot has the potential to hit that. But even if he goes to a team that has an established ball handler, if they goes to a team that has, you know, high offensive flow and ball movement and requires guys to play off ball, he's going to be fine. It's not going to be an issue because he's already doing it. He's already proving that he can go set a pin down screen and then cut baseline. He can, spot up in the corner he can run off a screen and then use that to um, engage his drive where he can either kick out to the corner finish at the rim or throw a lob pass to the roller there's so much different stuff that you can do with him and that he's willing and excited to do i absolutely love both these guys obviously whoever doesn't get the number one pick the fan base is going to be disappointed because we don't we've never seen someone like victor really before and missing out on that is going to feel like a letdown. If you bring Scoot Henderson into your team, it is not a letdown. This He is a franchise point guard. Um, he has everything that you want from your lead guy, and he would be the number one pick in 99% of drafts. Okay, moving on. Uh, the second My second favorite thing from the season so far is that we're seeing some big-name freshman prospects continuously improving throughout the season. Um, the three that come to mind are Brandon Miller from Alabama, Judd Howard from Michigan, and Keontae George from Baylor. So Brandon Miller has skyrocketed upwards because he has been just insanely hot shooting this year. And that was a big question with him coming into the season because in high school, he wasn't necessarily known as this knockdown lethal three-point shooter. He had a big McDonald's All-American game. He was awesome shooting there, but his AAU game was mostly mid-range based and at you know six eight six nine sorry just looking at the height here six nine um you know that's a legitimate skill he doesn't need much of a window to get that shot off because he's generally bigger than everyone who's guarding him the discussion about him has been fascinating though and i never really understood the merits behind it obviously you want guys to shoot a high percentage from two. You want guys to shoot a high percentage from anywhere, and when they don't, it's something to look into. But when you hold on to these beliefs and ignore the facts as they're changing in front of you, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're not doing anyone any favors, and you're just harming your own argument because you're showing your biases. So Brandon Miller in his last nine games, he's averaging 22.2 points, 8.2 rebounds, two assists, shooting 49% from three and 64% from two. He's, if you, if you leave him open spotting up or running off screens, he's going to make it essentially. Um, he's creating off the bounce. He's getting more comfortable step backs. Um, I, the handle's still a little loose for me in tight spaces, but when he's in isolation going one-on-one -on -one with guys, he has the size to finish over them. And he's still really comfortable creating that mid-range jumper that he was so comfortable at doing in high school the at rim stuff needs some work it's 
always going to need some work when you're as skinny as Brandon Miller is. And he's acknowledged this. He knows that he's not the strongest dude, but he's not afraid of contact. He doesn't shy away from contact. He goes through contact. He initiates contact. He gets to the free throw line a ton. Um, so as he gets older and yes, oh my God, he's 20 years old. What do you do? I don't really care. Um, as he gets older and continues to add muscle and continues to get stronger, that at rim finishing is only going to improve. His shooting touch is incredible. Um, and the way that he rebounds um, is really important for his position. I think there's a lot more passing upside than what he's kind of shown. Um, there's some really good situations of him using his scoring leverage to set up rollers or um, kick out for shooters. As he gets more comfortable with his handle, I think that passing ability will continue to improve um, because he'll, he'll be less flustered by doubles or those last second digs, and he'll more be able to keep the ball more under control and find those open teammates because he has a willingness to pass. Um, it's just a matter of consistently being able to process primary defender, help defender, do I shoot, do I pass, Where's what's the right opportunity, what's the right decision. And everything that he said and the bulk of his film suggests that he wants to make that right play. So Brandon Miller is also one of seven freshmen from a high major conference since 2008 with a usage over 20, a true shooting percentage over 60, a three-point percentage over 40, and over 10 three-point attempts per 100 possessions. The other names on that list are Bryce Sensabaugh, who I'm, I'm having some issues with, but that will be for a future episode. Jet Howard, uh, Lace Darius Dunn from Baylor in 2008, Marcus Howard from Marquette, Devin Booker, and Connor Sejan, uh, Wisconsin freshman. Interesting name to keep an eye on there. Um, those numbers are bonkers. So at 6'9", doing all of that, it what else are we asking for from this kid to really highlight that, yeah, he's – at least a top six pick. He's one of the best players in this draft. He has been incredible. And I, wa I want to use a statistical query to kind of pivot towards Jet Howard, who I was really high on coming out of IMG. And he's exceeded any expectations I had for him. Um, I had him, I think, four, 14 or 15 coming into the, the season. And I, you know, I, I admittedly was... I, I thought that was an optimistic ranking of him. And I thought there was a really good chance that we would see awesome flashes of play, but it would be like, a mm, this guy could be a back to end of the first round. Does he stay? Does he go? Does he try and do the Jaden Ivy where he could go pro he after or he could go be a one and done and go in the twenties, or does he return and really boost his stock towards top five? He may not need to return to boost his stock towards top five. Yeah, I, I think it's a, you know, sign seal delivered that he's going to be a one and done at this point regardless. Um, but he is looking like a top 10, and that's being conservative, uh, pick in this draft right now. Um, Jets currently averaging 15.5 points, 2.9 rebounds, 2.6 assists on 45-40, 78 shooting splits. Um what he's doing on offense is pretty absurd. Earlier in the year, I wrote about his off-ball movement and how they let him, or and how they use him in a myriad of ways to run off screens and create the offense through that. And 
it's not just one set play with one set decision for him where it's run off a pin down, shoot. It's run off a pin down, receive the pass, read the floor, attack, shoot, pass, make a decision. And obviously him being a coach, the coach's kid gives him a little more leeway, gives him a little more familiarity with the coach and a little more trust um, to get that role. But giving a 6'8", freshman who you know was pretty raw coming out of img but have a ton of promise giving him that leeway and that support to initiate the offense by being this off-ball mover and then making one of five different decisions based on how the defense reacted that's an incredible boon to what his upside is what his feel for the game is how he reads the floor how he understands floor spacing and where his teammates are where the defense is how the defense is moving based on where he and the ball are and how he can counter that his shooting is unbelievable and it's not just off ball stuff similar to brandon miller judd howard continues to show more wiggle more on ball creation as the season progresses his handle is so much better than i thought um, and he's hitting guys with, you know, hang dribble crossovers into step backs. Um, he's splitting, uh, he's splitting double teams out of the pick and roll and kicking out or dumping off to the roller. There's legitimate number two on a playoff team upside with Jet Howard here. And it feels like I'm almost underselling him um, because his offense has looked that special and he could continue to grow into so much more when you, if I, I, implore you to just go back and find one of his senior year IMG games and compare it to one of his games in Michigan this year. The growth in the last year from this young man has been extraordinary and something I really didn't expect. Um, and then on top of that, the defense is continuing to improve. It's not good. It's still not good. I'm not going that far. I'm not going to be that much of a homer. I promise uh, I'll, you know, I won't show my biases that much. But the egregious back cuts that were happening four or five times a game earlier in the season, they're not there anymore. Uh, sure, there'll be maybe one or two a game, tops, but he's moving his feet better. His awareness is better. Um, his timing on rotations and closeouts is more controlled. And it's just everything is trending in the right direction with him. And there isn't really a ranking where I would say, God, that's too high. I, that, that feels ridiculous. You know, I, I have him at six right now, you know, much higher than that feels a little high for me, but I can understand it. You can make the argument for it. The year he's having and the improvement he's made over the last calendar year, who's to say what's next for him? And then the final freshman who's really just making, continues to make strides is Keontae George uh, from Baylor. So in his first nine games, he was averaging 15.7 points, 4.4 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 1.3 steals, 3.1 turnovers, not ideal, 39.8% uh, from the floor and 32.8% from three. Coming out of the IMG, Keontae was supposed to be this lethal scorer. And he had a lot of people worried early in the season because of those shooting percentages and that low efficiency. He was struggling. The outside shot wasn't falling at all for him. Uh, he was defending than a lot of people expect or better than a lot of people expected uh his passing was a lot better than i certainly expected um i wrote on that earlier this year over at no ceilings 100 free go check it out um but it's like okay cool he's doing those things but he's not doing the thing that he was pegged as being this awesome prospect at 
in his last nine games, he's averaging 19.8 points, 5.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 2.8 turnovers, 40.2% from the floor, 39.7% from three. That's the trends we want to see with the shooting numbers. And yes, the, the assist numbers have come down a little bit, but that's because he's taken on more of a scoring load. He's been that go-to scorer for Baylor in a lot of these really close, tough matchups that they've had. And we, when young kids struggle shooting and struggle doing the thing that they're, you know, quote unquote, known for, we always want to see how are you impacting the game? What are you doing to make up for that? And Keontae, even though he wasn't shooting well, he was still rebounding. He was still passing. He was still playmaking. He was still defending. And now he's still doing those things, but he's also scoring. He's another one of these guys where it's like, you have him four? Okay, I kind of get it. Like, that's a little high for me, but I get it. I've met seven for what it's worth. He's showing everything that we want him to show. And I, I think one of – I've mentioned this to Rucker on the pond before, but I think one of the reasons for the slow start – is he's doing so much more on offense and defense than he ever did at IMG. His off-ball movement, um, the passing, the defensive awareness, the defensive responsibilities, the you know running off screens, and then Baylor requires so much energy from you. And he didn't have to do that at, at IMG. At IMG, it was a lot of okay, go guard. You know, we're we're going to kind of hide you on defense. And you're going to spot up a lot or create a second side pick and roll. And that was the extent of it. Now he's running off of actions constantly. He's making multiple rotations and switches and communicating. He has to be on point 100% of the time. And that's what he's going to have to do in the NBA. So, yeah, these early struggles, they're okay. It's always context matters. Sure, why are they struggling? It's important to note it. But why are they struggling? And can't, is it something that they can improve on? Keontae is proving that he can and is actively improving on it. So, all right. So my third favorite thing from this season is uh, kind of a cop out here, but just Kansas's entire starting five. This Kansas team is so weird um, for me because they're not the biggest, they're not the most skilled, they're not the best. But, God, they play well together. They complement each other so stinking well. Um, so I, I think the first name to start out with is Grady Dick, who, you know, is seems like a surefire pro, or lottery prospect at this point. 6'8", uh, 205-pound lethal shooter. I have my 13 on my board right now. Um, shooting, I think, over 45% from three. This year's just a flamethrower. Um, and his shot preparation is impeccable. Uh, there's rarely any ball dip. Uh, the second it hits his hand, it's going up and his touch is immaculate. The way he moves off ball is really mature. And what I mean by that is he has these hesitations. He knows how to use his shoulder to create separation. He runs tightly off screens. He naturally relocates and sinks and rises to open pockets and cuts uh, when his guy's in trouble on the post he knows exactly where the open spots on the floor are that he can exploit at all times. He's going to be an awesome pro. He's going to be so stinking good. Um, I think the next name is Jalen Wilson, who has been awesome. And he's kind of taken over that Ochai Baji role from last year, where the previous seasons, he was kind of this bit role player. You know, he was in there to 
rebound and defend and be a physical play finisher. And this year he's taken on a lot of play initiation and offensive creation and self-creation for himself. I know the outside shooting numbers aren't great, but that's not, I, I struggle to envision a world where he's taking the shots that he is right now in the NBA in that he's operating at the same same level or the same role with the same responsibilities that he is now in the NBA. And the big thing with that is he's one of these guys where we have to be able to scale him back down into more what is the, what was the role that he played last year and what is that going to look like in the NBA. Coming off of just last year, it's like, yeah, okay, he still kind of needs some work. But this year, he's showing that he can do so much more. So when you take the improved skill skill sets that he's showing this year and merge them into more of an off-ball tertiary role where, you know, maybe he's the seventh guy in a rotation, but he's coming in and he's able to be an awesome rebounder. He can attack closeouts. He can hit spot-up corner threes. Uh, He can make those skip passes and kickouts he can defend multiple positions. That's why I was like, oh, okay. When we need him, we can call on him and he can step up when needed. But even in this lesser role, he can be awesome in his role. Um, next guy, Kevin McCuller, transfer from Texas Tech. None of the numbers are going to wow you with him. He's just one of these guys that knows how to play basketball. Um, the, the shooting's improved this year, and that's the big thing for him. He has to prove that he can consistently knock down catch-and-shoot threes. He's an awesome defender, good passer, good ball handler, um, good cutter, all that stuff. Awesome team defender. The, his hands on defense are lightning quick. Um, I definitely think he's an NBA guy. I would gladly take him in the early to mid-second. Um, he's just one of these guys that's going to make your team better. Uh, then Dewan Harris, who has always been one of the best defenders in college basketball, incredibly quick hands, incredibly quick feet, great defensive positioning. The leaps he's taken on offense have been incredible. Um, his assist rate is 32.9, which is like top 30 in the country this year. Um, the way he's able to penetrate the lane and get into the teeth of the defense and then make these just really slick bounce passes or kickouts or, you know, crew these no look passes in transition, uh, it's not just flair. There's accuracy, there's thoughtfulness, there's reliability behind his playmaking this year, and the shots improved. He's obviously never going to be a reliable knockdown lethal shooter, but it's looking like there's a little bit of touch there and that he's taking steps in the right direction. Um, and then finally, KJ Adams. I don't know what this dude is in the NBA, but he's an NBA player. Uh, he's a six, seven center, uh, maybe six, eight and strong as a bull does all of the little things at an exceptionally high level. Um, I, I have a draftable grade on him right now since 2008. And the, the, this is just a little fun with numbers here and sure there's a little statistical manipulation here, but it was a fun one. So since 2008, he is one of two players with a true shooting percentage over 65, an offensive rebounding rate over 10, an assist rate over 14, a block rate over four, and a steal rate over two. The other player was Zion Williamson. So, you know, obviously KJ Adams is a future All-NBA caliber player. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. He's not, but he's definitely an NBA player. 
I, I get a lot of Kevon Looney vibes from him where he knows his role and he is thrilled to go out there and execute it at the highest of levels. Um, there, the, the rebounding is awesome. The defensive versatility is insane. Great defensive playmaker. Um, really, really good passer, especially for his position. His ability to kind of read and create out of the short role. Um, there aren't many in the country who do it as well as him. So uh, moving on, my fourth favorite thing from the season is a couple of mid-major breakouts. Obviously, there are so many more, but um, I'm just going to mention two. Uh, Taylor Hendricks and Ron Holmes. Uh, Taylor Hendricks has really broken onto the scene. This year, the UCF freshman uh, averaging 14.4 points, 6.9 rebounds, 1.6 assists, 1.7 blocks on 47, 39, 81 shooting splits. Um, since 2008, he is one of three freshmen who were at least 6'9 to have a usage over 15. Um, or, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, a usage rate over 15, an assist rate over five, a block rate over five, and a three-point percentage over 38, and eight, and average over seven three-point attempts per 100 possessions. The other two names are Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Butler. Obviously, two different ends of the spectrum there on what those guys have turned into. Stories far from written on John Butler. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing like a defensive player of the year. I think Taylor Hendricks falls, so, you know, I, I'm, I've struggled with him. So I, I, I know I'm keeping this positive vibes, positive things only, but he's one of these guys where I'm just going to have to watch him over and over and over and over again because all the numbers are there. 6'9", lethal shooter, big-time shot blocker. Um, he's still a little raw with his ball handling and what he can do off the dribble uh, for my taste, but – you know, it's and at, at some point, I'm just going to have to kind of concede and be like, God, this guy's really good. And for what it's worth, I have easily a draftable grade on him, so it's not like I'm out on him by any means. Um, but I'm just a little lower on him than some others. And then Duran Holmes, from center from Dayton, um, this dude just rocks. The way he uses his athleticism on both ends of the floor is awesome. Um, on the season, he's averaging – 18.6 points, eight rebounds, 1.8 assists, and two blocks. In his last nine games, he's averaging 21.9 points, 8.6 rebounds, 1.9 assists, and 2.1 blocks. He's been on an absolute heater recently, and those last nine games are including uh, two games, or his two most recent games, where I think he only averaged, or he only scored like four and 16 points, so not as big as statistical lines, but the seven games before that, it was like 24 points plus on a nightly basis. He's been looking incredible. The athleticism um, is super impactful, and he just knows how to use it. <laughs> um, I, I know that sounds ridiculous because, oh, what do you mean he knows how to use athleticism? He's an athlete. Of course he knows how to, but not all guys do. And he knows how to, how to use his length perfectly to block jumpers. Um, he's always on balance. He really uses his feet well on both ends of the floor and he's springy as all get out. So definitely two guys that I think are just going to kind of continue climbing closer and closer and farther into the first round for a lot of people. All right. My last or my fifth favorite thing uh, from this season is one second is, and this might be a little out there for some of you, but it's a Dembona. 
uh, center from UCLA. Okay, so I I feel like I may have said this on the pod, um, but I can't remember. So here we go. I, I think Bona is the best center in this class outside of Victor Wembanyama, um, and I'm not sure it's particularly close. Um, so quick little stat query here. So since 2008, he is one of three freshmen or sophomores from a high major conference to have an effective field goal and true shooting percentage over 65, an offensive rebounding rate over 10, a defensive rebounding rate over 15, an assist rate over six, and a block rate over eight. The other two names on that list are Mark Williams and Daniel Gafford. Those are two good players. I know Gafford's had some ups and downs. Mark Williams is starting to come into his own. Gafford's been in the league a while. He's he's a proven NBA player. I think Adembona is absurd defensively. Um, the, he gets low in a defensive stance like a guard or a wing does. He moves his feet impeccably well. Uh, he has really good foot speed. He's explosive off the ground. Great second jump. Really sound positioning. I think the defense with him, depending on what what role he ends up growing into in the NBA, I think the defense has all NBA defensive potential. I think he could be that good on defense. Now, the big question is going to be the offense. Um, I, I'm fine with it. I don't think it's anything awesome. It's super raw, um, but there are so many tools and fun stuff to work there, work with him there. Um, he has great hands. He catches everything. Really good at rim finisher. Just got to figure out some of the nuances of offense. And that defense is just going to take him over the edge. And I, I think he's a first rounder at this point. So those are five of my favorite things um, so far throughout this season. So now I'm just going to wrap up with some mailbag questions. Um, you guys are awesome. You sent me a bunch of them. Um, if I don't get to them, I apologize. Also, I will try to read off your name as best as possible. Apologies for it. Any mispronunciations, um, not intentional, and no disrespect meant by it. So first off, uh, from Corey Toloba, um, Jed Howard is a top blank ball handler in the class. Oh, boy. Okay, so my my instincts say five with Scoot, Amen, Nick Smith. Oh, boy. And after that, it gets a little dicey. There aren't a ton of awesome ball handlers in this class, at least at the very top where I'm looking. Um, so as Jack continues to show more and more, I, I think I might have him at fifth on that list. Um, and maybe just part of that list in no particular order. All right, uh, moving on from uh, the Two Pointers podcast at Two Pointers. Uh, where do you guys see uh, Scoot Henderson's primary role to be um, as a point guard or shooting guard? He's he's 100% a point guard for me. Um, at 6'2", they'll kind of inevitably push him there because he'll be a little more limited on who he covers defensively. But I think he has the athleticism and the strength and the IQ um, and the want to to be a multi-positional uh, defender. Obviously, you don't want him regularly switching on to 6'9 dudes, but if he does, I don't think it's some massive mismatch. Uh, but on offense, I want the ball in his hand as much as possible, not necessarily in a heliocentric sense, but in a way that 
allows him to kind of dictate what the offense is doing. Um, whether he's on ball, off ball, he, he he's my he's a point guard for me. Um, all right, from Joey Barrett at Joey Barrett um, underscore. Uh, what player would your opinion change most on if they had a two-inch growth spurt? Oh boy, um, I, I think Cam Whitmore might be one for me. Um, I'm not out on Cam Whitmore by any means, but I'm a little cooler than others. But if he was coming in at six nine, then there's a little more. Okay, there's the the lack of kind of wiggle and just the the almost pure reliance on explosiveness makes a little more sense at that size and position. Um, all right, uh, just scrolling through here. Um, God, if Jordan Hawkins was two inches taller, that would be freaking awesome. And then KJ Adams, you, you bump him up to. 6'9", 6'10". Now we're talking about a legitimate NBA size center who's doing the things that he does. Um, oh, boy. I, I might get dangerous and put him in the first round then. Um, all right. Next up uh, from Draft Fanatics. Which prospect are you drafting first if you were drafting a professional slam ball team? Uh, this – oh, okay. This – never mind. Um, Okay, I, I thought I had an obvious answer, and then I just saw two other names, and I immediately backpedaled. Um, so I'm going to sit on the fence here and give you three different names. Um, Jairus Walker, um, good luck trying to stop him. Um, it's tough enough to stop him at the rim without a trampoline. Uh, Cam Whitmore, exact same reason. And then Andre Jackson. That dude is a lunatic, and I know everyone talks about the Thompson Twins as generational athletes. I'm not sure Andre Jackson is too far behind them. So the, those would be my top three go-tos, um, not only because their athletic is all fucking hell, but because they're strong and fearless when they go to the rim. And God knows those guys are lunatics, um, Who the, the guys who play slam ball. So I, God, I, I love that. That was so much fun. I miss those days. Um, all right, next up. Um, just scrolling. Um, all right, uh, draft fanatics with the second one. So how drastically does a prospect stock decrease each year they put their name in the draft and go undrafted? So I'm assuming by that you just meant they put their name in, they go to the combine or, you know, off-season workouts or whatever, and then they end up returning. Um, not entirely, not a whole lot for me. Um, honestly, I, I like it when guys go back to school. I, I think it's smart when guys are patient and – go get intel and go get advice on what they need to improve at and then come back and work on it. Now, if they come back and don't improve at anything, if they continue to just play the same game and we see the same flaws and the only improvement is that they're just kind of getting a year older, that's where it's like, okay, well, you, you peak, you may, may have plateaued as a player. And then that's when I start dropping them, but I never punish a guy going back to school to get better. It's only when they go back to get better and then don't. That's a problem for me. Um, all right, from Caleb Miller, uh, is Baba Miller a this year or a next year guy? I haven't seen enough yet to really make a call on that, but I, because I he's only played in like three games, obviously, but I, I think he's a this year guy regardless. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think his. Um, exposure to the NCAA is going to really entice him to come back for another year of it. And I don't see him going back overseas 
to play in Spain again. It, it feels like if he did that, um, maybe the buzz or the sh shine from him would kind of start fading off a little bit, especially given how raw he currently is. I, I think he's just got to go, go pro, honestly, this year. And a team may be getting a steal with him, depending on what the rest of his season looks like. So I, I'm I'm giving him, you know, basically till conference tournament um, until I really make some glaring decisions with him because similar to Cam Whitmore and Derek Whitehead and Nick Smith, I, I want to give these guys some time to acclimate to the speed of play and the competition. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of take the same path with Baba Miller, but just all of that aside, given the situation, I, I think he's almost a lock for this year guy. Um, all right. Third one from draft fanatics. At what point can you begin calling yourself a scout versus a draft and hoops fan who watches a lot of games and film and clips? I, I think it just depends on what your approach is to what you're watching. Um, I, I, I still consider myself a fan and I at times consider myself a scout and it's all about how I'm watching the game. Uh, when I'm trying to scout, I'm watching for the nuances of guys' footwork and how they're reading the second level of defense and is their weak side rotation on time and just all of that kind of stuff. How are they running off of screens? When I'm a fan, I'm watching for points and entertainment. So I, I think it's all about more so just the mentality of how of what of how you approach what you're viewing and not necessarily the volume or the 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 experience of it. Um, all right, scrolling, uh, Parker Eves. Do you think Naquan Tomlin has a shot to get drafted this year, or do you think he would be better come out in the 2024 draft? Um, he, God, the way he's playing, he might be a this year guy. Um, I, a couple guys at no ceilings are very high on him, um, especially I, I think Corey had him early second round maybe on our composite boards. Um, sorry, Corey, if I'm outing you on that, but – the buzz with him is really growing, so it, it wouldn't shock me if he's a this-year guy. Um, all right. Uh, uh, scrolling, scrolling. Um, all righty. Uh, last, I'm from at Sixers76. Uh, KOC has Hendricks as high as 10 on his big board. Uh, I love his upside. What could he be? Do you, do you think there's any chance he gets picked up in the lottery? Um, yeah, that, that was the big one that shocked me with KOC's board um, today. Um, I'm, I'm not there with Hendricks yet, but when you're 6'9 and you're defending or being a defensive playmaker like he is and shooting like he is, if he continues that and really has some big games down the stretch against you know, bigger time opponents. I believe they play Houston one more time. So if he puts up a big game there, if they get into the tournament, if he has a big game or two, it wouldn't surprise me if he sneaks up into the lottery conversation. I know a lot of people kind of have him there already. He's not quite there yet for me. He's still a little too raw. Um, I'm not completely sold on his defensive versatility, not completely sold on his on-ball creation yet, but there's a lot there that he can continue to build on. Um, so I, I think he's for sure going to end up being a first rounder at this point, which is kind of wild to say, uh, given where he entered the season at, but it's, it, 
it's exciting stuff. And I, I never really want to rule anything out with these guys because if they continue to improve and continue to show what they're doing, it's consistency is key with a lot of these guys. It can really, really change their kind of draft fortunes and their draft stock, especially if they get in an empty gym um, and those and workouts with NBA executives. That's when it's like, oh, okay. And they light it up. It's not super difficult for a six nine guy who can really shoot it to impress a front office. Um, so I think that's where we're going to wrap it. I love the questions guys. Hopefully this was not a horrible listen for all of you. Uh, the, the, the solo pods are always a little harder. So if you tune in for Rucker, um, I apologize. He'll be back next week. Um, but once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. Uh, you can find all of our written work at noceilingsnba.com. Again, we put up our mock draft or our most recent updated mock draft um, today. So make sure to go over and check it out along with the big board that went up earlier this week. You can follow us across all socials at um, at No Ceilings NBA and on YouTube at No Ceilings TV. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.